Hey guys, what's up? It is uh, week 137 and I have a bunch of movies to cover for you. A lot of them are 2019 releases, kind of going to continue that pattern until, you know, probably the beginning of the new year. So anybody that likes the oldies, uh, bear with me. It'll be, uh, you know, we'll be back to regular schedule programming very shortly. Um, if I'm a little slow at moving, it's because I pulled my neck. Something back here I pulled, so excuse king. So if this ain't up to snuff, yeah, that's what's going on. Alright, just kidding. I do have a couple that aren't from 2019 to start this out with. Um, the first one is uh, from On Earth Films, and it is Ryan Nicholson's Famine. First and foremost, I want to say R.I.P. Ryan Nicholson. He was an independent director and a special effects artist from Canada. He was a really genuinely nice guy, and uh, he lost his battle with brain cancer um, a few months ago. So, R.I.P. Ryan. Um, uh, he directed Gutterballs, which I really like. So, Famine. Well, I remember seeing this when it came out in 2011, 2012, and I was really iffy on it. So, revisiting Ryan Nicholson's movies usually tend to take place in like a, a, a not really a reality. It's like a trauma reality and sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't famine is definitely in that trauma kind of world so what we have here is uh, there's a weird tragedy that happens years ago where a teacher uh, who's supposed to be pretty much beloved by all the women because he's just you know the gym teacher he's attractive he's got long hair he's whatever in a band he gets acid spilled on him and disfigured so we have that. It, it's definitely a take right out of Slaughter High, the 80s slasher, which I really love. So after that, what happens is uh, a couple years, I think it's a year or something after it happened or a couple years after it happened, uh, the kids in the high school are having a 24-hour famine, which is kind of a thing where everybody locks in, uh, locks themselves in the school, and it's pretty much all the same high school students locked in here. So that's the plot. All the characters are like, <laughs> they're ridiculous, they're stereotypes. Everybody is acting over the top a million percent um no one is in reality no one is very good at what they're doing either um it's so weird how i compare like over the top acting when you look at somebody like dennis hopper and river's edge he's such a weird character or in uh, blue velvet but somehow it feels grounded and real and it's kind of crazy world it's right or somebody like Bruce Campbell in The Evil Dead Part 2 in Army of Darkness where he somehow is over the top, but he's buying everything he says and it's wonderful. This, These actors and these characters, um, they're over the top, but I don't think they get the source material what they're, they're, they're basing it on. They just don't work. They're just ridiculous and it's that over the top kind of high school acting like you would see in something like, um, I don't want to throw She Kills out there, but it reminds me of that. But um, even in She Kills, they're, they're way more self-aware of what they were doing. At, at least the actors were. I, and there's no doubt Ryan Nicholson as a filmmaker knows what he wants, but I don't think these actors are actually giving it. The characters are really ridiculous, really over the top, and really unrealistic, and just boring and stupid to me. Um, there is a layer of sleaziness where all the teachers are basically perverts and gross. Everybody's, like, it's funny, like I said, the kids are like 40, so it's like, oh, whatever. And they have this layer of perversity. All the teachers, they want to screw the students. Um, and so you think, imagine a lot of sleaze or a lot of nudity, like something like gutter balls, and this doesn't have any nudity. It has, like, women and, you know, like, push-up bras and everything like that, but it lacks nudity, and it, it's a sleazy kind of story and sleazy kind of movie, and it, it basically teasing you the whole time with that element. And a movie doesn't need nudity but this movie does um to be honest so gosh it's just not particularly very good in a lot of aspects 
Um, the plot, I guess, is fun. You know, it's a decent setup for a slasher movie. It's locked in here. And there's little details that are, you know, I think that a lot of people will find funny. Like on the wall, it says, don't be a um, uh, fat fuck or something like that. Anorexia. All these weird kind of little details like that. Um, and then there's also the gore, which is why you're watching this in the first place. And the kills that are on screen are really great. They're really over the top. There's like three or four really bloody, gross gore scenes and gags that are really tremendous. The first one, with the knife being thrown into the head, you're thinking, oh, we're in for kind of a special effects extravaganza, a blood splatter-tastic movie. Um, but there's surprisingly a lot of off-screen kills and aftermath, um, and that's it. Like Almost 70% of the kills are off-screen, and you're thinking, I'm watching this just for that because it's lost me on a everything else so uh, there's that uh, and when the effects are there they're cool um the soundtrack is metal and very rarely does a metal soundtrack work um deathgasm comes to mind or devil's candy because it pertains to the story of the film it belongs there but this movie did not need a death metal soundtrack it doesn't fit it's distracting and it's really lame and just so by the numbers in that kind of low budget filmmaking at the time um, it looks all right. Um, I think that the sounds a little, has some issues. This is a very low-budget movie. It feels like, you know, it was a big step down from other stuff like Hangar and Gutterballs, and I imagine that the budget was very minuscule compared to what he's used to working with, and I can imagine that that definitely had some impact on the movie, you know. Probably, um, maybe the lack of nudity involves that they shot this in a school. Maybe it's the budget constraints. Maybe he just didn't want to put it in there. But, that kind of stuff, it just makes the movie kind of a miserable, boring experience. There is a twist at the end, um, but I, I just never cared enough to be invested in the movie at all. Like I said, there's a couple really good gore gags, and I like the killer. He's a, he's in a mascot outfit. I think that's a nice touch. That's like Girls go Night Out or something like that, another 80s slasher. So that stuff is kind of effective and kind of decent, but all in all, the movie to me is, is probably my least favorite Ryan Nicholson movie. And I, I don't want to be negative because Honor is putting all these out and I'm looking forward to a lot of them. This one doesn't have any features, which I'd be more interested in the features and the story of the movie, to be honest, than the movie, because this isn't one I love. But um, I, I know Gutterballs is coming out next, Collector's Edition. That should be a treat for everybody because that's a really kind of fantastic, um, you know, uh, crazy, over-the-top, weird, nasty movie. And his other stuff, you know, is interesting too, um, hangar and whatnot and I, I look forward to revisiting all these but famine just doesn't do it for me i, I don't like it and i gave uh su sufficient reasons for that and i hope that um you guys like it more maybe i just being a little too hard on it but a couple good gore gags do not um invest me enough to watch the movie again so that's famine Twenty students just go over there and see him and then you can come and hang out with us. 20 hours. Dude, I'm fucking starving. Mmm. You're always moist in the center. Make room for daddy. <laughs> it's been five years since the last film. Scheisen flows downhill, Miss Vickers. <laughs> Nail me, baby. 20 horrible ways to die. Famine. Hungry for murder. Starving to live.
Okay, the next one is from Films That Kill, and this is Chrome Baby. This was an SOV movie, I think, originally made in the early 2000s, and then later on, uh, Maggot, who runs Films That Kill, from uh, August Underground Mortem, and he's a director, and uh, did some other things like His Devil's Night and a bunch of other stuff. I Never Left the White Room. Actually edited this uh, this one here, Chrome Baby, and re this was a 2018 cut, so it's a different cut. I never saw the original cut. This was like a shot-on-video movie, so it was very, very low budget. Um, Eric James directed it. He stars in it, and uh, there's the early 2000s, and so that kind of stuff was made that like a lot of transgressive SOV movies are super ambitious. It's kind of my jam. I don't know if you guys know that. I'm a sucker for that stuff. I grew up watching a lot of that so I immediately was invested like I said I love the Eric Stanzi stuff I love the Tempe stuff I love you know uh, a lot of Fred Vogel stuff so that kind of stuff just speaks to me uh, I like it um, and I always have and this one makes no there's no exception for Chrome Baby the, the reason it's called Chrome Baby is because it's about some sort of secret kind of chemical that can bring the dead back to life it's um there's stem cell research and some sort of metal so they call it Chrome Baby it brings the dead back to life Forget science. You guys are, a lot of people are focusing too much on realistic science in horror movies. It's never realistic. It's nonsense, you know? So um, sometimes it's annoying. This time it doesn't bother me at all. Okay, so what we have here is this uh, scientist was going to sell to a mob boss uh, this, this chemical. He uh, double-crossed him, didn't want to sell it, was going to sell it to somebody else. He sends Eric James out there, I can't remember his character's name off the top of my head, to uh, kill him and take the um, you know, the, the chemical back to him. Uh, he decides to go out um, when he's bored in a hotel room waiting to go back to deliver it to a comic book shop in the local area. It's a really disgusting neighborhood. So what happens is when it, while he's there, there is a robbery in progress, or he, a robber breaks in. A robbery is in progress, and it's the robber is Maggot, uh, Michael Snyder, and what happens is he ends up getting shot um maggot does and the suitcase gets opened and all this chemical shit gets on him and of course they leave he uh he's gonna be get out of there and not tell anyone but um he leaves maggot's body there and maggot of course turns into a zombie out there so um eric james is actually um in kind of a, almost killed by another agent coming to clean up his mess and make sure everything's all right but he catches him so these two agents kind of team up realize that there could be some sort of virus going around about to take over this entire town and monsters and zombies coming around and everything a big zombie epidemic could be coming so they decide that they got to you know trace back the steps find if anybody who's been exposed to this stuff so they go back to the comic book shop they team up with this guy this guy's going to be their guide he's a real weirdo real comic relief kind of character so these three basically run through the town killing any any people that maggots come in contact with before they can spread the virus maggot makes a really great zombie he lumbers and every time he's on frame they do this weird song uh, a maggot song which it might be from something else i think actually but maybe one of his shorts but it's kind of funny kind of weird kind of quirky but I actually like how the movie looks. I like that it has ambition. It does have this weird kind of sense of humor and outdated, you know, kind of jokes like uh, that they would have had back at the time. But I, I enjoyed it. And did I mention that it's splatastic? Very gory, uh, very ambitious people getting shot. They use machine guns in here. There's squibs galore. Um, there's a nice scene where they go to a prostitution uh, place where a baggot has, uh, that's where he went because they take the school for Romero. They go to places that they frequented a lot. Uh, this is an important place in their life kind of instinct deal. So they end up tracing it back to a whorehouse and uh, there's a bloodbath there. So this movie you're going to watch for um, the special effects and it delivers on that. It delivers on 
the ambition, it delivers on the fun factor, and there's some things I really liked about it. Um, surprisingly, the dialogue is way better than would expect. It does have that kind of Tarantino post-flair, you know, where they're kind of criminals and they're, you know, witty and whatnot and have the banter back and forth. They have that, and I enjoyed that. Um, it's better than you would expect. I think Eric James holds his own, and he's a pretty good actor, and he has a decent amount of charisma, and I enjoyed his character. The end is, uh, you know, uh, it's pretty twisted, and you kind of see it coming in a lot of ways with, with certain characters. At one point, you start to see it coming, but there's hints of it throughout, which is nice. I really like this movie. Um, like I said, this is totally my, my jam. I like these kind of SOV, uh, transgressive, and um, at the same time, ambitious. Also, this one's more fun than it would be like, you know, it's not trying to push boundaries, maybe in the gore, and some of the humor would be offensive to people, but I really dug it, and there's some cool shootouts and some cool action and stuff like that, and it's so funny as you go back and look at it, and you watch a lot of independent movies now, and they look better, they look cleaner, you know, they're shot in uh, you know, 4K or 1080p, and they have zero ambition, and these shot on video movies are like, hey man, we got a freaking machine gun, and we're gonna get this dumpy-ass truck, and we're gonna pump it full of holes, so you're like, yeah, that's, that's craziness, blowing up cars, clown zombies, just lots of cool shit going on, highly recommended, um, Films That Kill site's currently probably down, it'll be open after the new year, because um, his new movie just, uh, oh, what, what is it, Opening the Mind, uh, just was selling, so yeah, if you're interested in that, you're interested in this one, check out the Films That Kill site, um, this is really cool stuff, enjoyed the hell out of it, there's some features on here of some comedy shorts they did, which are kind of cool and unique, and there's some uh, a making of, which is edited to make Eric James look like a dick sometimes. They make him repeat himself like five or six times, and I'm like, oh, man, you did that on purpose. It's very funny, though. But, uh, yeah, it was very entertaining, and I like the features. Uh, really cool stuff. Uh, Chrome Baby. Anything bitten dies. Comes back with a taste for human flesh. some sporting equipment. Okay, this next one is from Epic Pictures Releasing or Dread Central, and this is going to be a quickie. This is Book of Monsters. Yeah! Book of Monsters, the by premise, this would have me sucked in. It's uh, basically it opens up with a little girl who um, her mother's reading a, a story from this big book, you know, of monsters, and uh, she's attacked and pulled under her bed by a creature. The little girl survives. She grows up. Everybody thinks she's weird and crazy, but uh, when it hits her 18th birthday party, she's having this big kind of, sh um, you know, uh, 
what am I what am I going to say? Shindig. I wanted to call it shenanigan or something. Shindig at her house, and uh, these creatures start to attack her from the Book of Monsters, and it's up to her and her friends to bond together and fight back and survive the night. To me, I'm like, man, that sounds like a lot of fun, and you know, it shares similarities kind of in premise to Slaughterhouse Slumber Party, Dustin's movie, which I love. So I was like, I should dig this. I'm put this in. This is a British film, and I just could not get behind this one at all. The characters are okay, but very bland. Um, there's a girl power thing going on, which is cool to see women kick ass in movies, you know. But it's just, none of the characters are very good for me. They're bland, they're boring, and everybody's way too old to be playing the roles. They, they look older than they should for me. But, you know, like I said, that movie Famine was the ultimate guilty on them, on that. But, uh, you know, so I feel like the people are older than they should be, which is okay, I guess. But the douchebags are douchey, over the top. A lot of the characters, I just, like I said, it was boring. It is um, a siege movie, which I do enjoy at times. But the monsters, it's called Book of Monsters. And a couple of the monsters are fun. Like, you have a garden gnome. You have kind of like this weird, I guess, mantis, cicada. I don't know if it's got a lot of arms. It's creepy. And that's cool. But then you have, like, uh, one that's just kind of a guy in a mask. And you're like, that's that's one of the main protagonists. Kills a lot of the people. I'm like, that's just a guy in a mask, man. That's not a monster. I I know Jason Voorhees is technically probably a monster, but still, it's just like, eh, we want monsters. We want, you know, goopy monsters. We want the, we want the spookies, okay? We want the book of monsters. Just take that and just put all the monsters and the spookies in there so the plot makes sense. There we go. But um, it just fell short for me, and I wanted to like it, and I ended up being super bored with it and just um, not very into it at all. Some of the special effects are cool here and there, but all in all, it's just kind of a slog for me to get through. I don't want to be negative on it because it's ambitious, and there's a lot of hard work put forth. It's not a lazy movie. I wouldn't call it lazy, but it's just not for me. I'm sorry. So what have you three got planned for this evening? Oh, you know, just quiet night in with the girls. <laughs> Bed by midnight, okay? See? Party Central. Why are these people? They don't go to our school. Relax. Wait, that's my bedroom. Why do you hang around with them? Smile, Sophie. You might find you like it. Are you a virgin? Hey guys, I'm late for a party! You get a lap dance in full frontal, you didn't pay me for this shit! We need to call the police. That giant fucking monster has killed half my classmates. I don't think they believe that. Run! More outside. How many of those things are there? There was a huge fucking monster attack that killed a bunch of people. And this huge fucking bitch threw me out the window and I've got this weird axe thing stalking me. And you'd have a good one saying, Brilliant. We can't wait here forever. How do we get it? Let's kill some fucking monsters. Fucking kidding me! <laughs>
Okay, this next one, it's a 4K release of the remake of Pet Cemetery. Yeah, and I had heard about this one, and a lot of people like it. A lot more people are upset with it, the changes and everything like that. So I put this in. It's going to be another quickie review. And um, at first, I was like, oh, wow, this is pretty effective for me. I like it. Um, it, it got me with the freaking jump scares. And I was like, really? Those stupid truck jump scares are going to get me? Because they did. But if you guys don't know the story of Pet Cemetery, it's a book based on Stephen King. They had a movie made in 89 by Mary Lambert. A pretty effective movie. I always enjoyed it. Um, um, nostalgia for it, you know, for sure. But what happens is uh, these they a family, a doctor, his wife, and his two kids move next to a, um, a dangerous highway where there's a lot of semi trucks going on. And behind their house is a pet cemetery. Their kids bury all their pets. But behind that is this weird ancient Indian burial ground. It's not even that. I don't think. I think it predates that. The ground is sour. There's something wrong with it. And when people bury their dead there, if they bury something dead there, it comes back. But it's not them. There is something else inside of them, like a demon or some other soul from some other place, or their soul has went to hell and come back and it's all messed up. So you really don't know, and that's what makes it really scary. And it's a story about grief. It's a story about dealing with grief. So it's an effective story here. Um, and everybody knows that one of the kids is going to die in this and everything like that, and one of the cats. And I don't want to spoil too much, but the trucks and everything, it, you know, it's, it's very telegraphed, and it plays out how you would expect. The remake changes some things, of course. Um, the main character from the original was probably, you know, everyone's most beloved character was probably Fred Gwynn, who played Judd. Um, that's a bad role. You know, the, you know, the main accent, everybody does it south park spoofed it but yeah it's a tremendous performance by alfred gwynn herman monster and in this one is played by john lithgow and uh i can't hate john lithgow no matter what he does uh he's one of my favorite performances in cliffhanger uh kill one you're a murderer kill a thousand you're a conqueror come on um but uh yeah he's he's wonderful in that movie he's good in this though he's okay he doesn't try to do the main accent which was a little disappointing i'd rather have him just dive into it at first and i know he hadn't seen the movie from other uh, interviews and podcasts i've heard but i really um liked his kind of performance and he's a little um shaky in here like you don't know how, how to take him at first i thought that the father did well too i thought you know all in all the acting probably is overall better in this one and i know a lot of people are gonna hang me for that i would say pascal is not as effective i don't think he's very good in the remake i think he kind of sucks i think the special effects on him are good i think some of the gore effects in here are really good some of the atmosphere is solid and creepy and everything like that um but I, I think that in the original, Fred Gwynn's better, of course. And um, maybe, maybe let's just take the father. Let's just switch the fathers because the acting of the original is better except the father. The father's better in this one, I think. So there's some things that I like about it. Actually, I don't want to be, you know, that complete negative Nelly and be completely unfair to this movie like a lot of people were. But they do a major change at the end, which kind of defeats the purpose of the original kind of uh, message, which is the dealing with grief. And if they're going to change that, although it makes it scary and different, it also makes it to a certain point ineffectual or pointless. And I don't get it. And I don't understand why they did it. And I, I, I can grasp certain things, but I just don't know if I like it. So this one comes in average at me. Like I said, there were some things they did better, but there's some things they did worse. And the, the thing they did worse was kind of really distracting to me. But um, I probably come in the middle on this one. I do like the original better. And, you know, I think that the original has a spot. I love the Zelda stuff in the original more. I think they did it better in the original. But I do like in the fact in this one that they bring Zelda in her psychology more. I believe that Zelda is more of a haunting presence in there. And I believe that the pet cemetery in this one can actually leave, you know, just being around it can 
and like kind of put you in that mindset of how you know how screwed up you can be and whatnot and everything just kind of like being in a, a haunted area can make you feel bad and think bad things and i think they kind of do that effectively too um so i think it's okay i think it's looking in uh, you might you might want to check it out for yourself i know a lot of people hate it and a lot of people love it i just kind of like hey it's there you know, and I like some things and I don't like others. And I don't think it's a poorly made movie or anything like that. I do think it's a major downgrade from the previous filmmakers movie, Starry Eyes, which I thought was great. So yeah, Pet Cemetery. In the woods today, LA discovered a charming little landmark. The Pet Cemetery place to bury our pets and remember them. It might seem scary, but it's not. Perfectly natural. Just like dying is natural. Old town's been using this place for generations. Folks make a kind of ritual out of it. It's not some campfire story. Saw these in the trees up there. They're warnings. The local tribes carved them before they fled. They fear that place. There's something up there. Something that dates way back. Those woods belong to something else. Something. That cat was dead. That brings things back. Church? I know what you're thinking of doing. But they don't come back the same. Daddy. Who's? What's going on? Hug your daughter. I should never have shown you that place. Your child is not the only thing that will come back. The barrier is broken. We have a second chance. Sometimes dead is better. Okay, here we go with another hopefully quickie review for you. This is The Prodigy. This is, you know, the killer kid movie of the year, I guess, right? We had a couple of those, I guess, with a hole in the ground and some other things. But we have The Pro and Brightburn. We have The Prodigy. Okay. This one has a really interesting uh, premise. Right in the beginning of the movie, we see kind of like a serial killer, and this woman escapes from his shed or his kill house or whatever the hell you want to call it. Uh, she has her hand cut off, and it's really a disturbing scene, and he, the, kill, the police kill him. And right at the same time, a kid is born. So it cuts back and forth between these two stories where a child is born. And throughout, you realize that this kid has, you know, he, he starts off as just this kind of wonderfully gifted kid, but something's a little off. He doesn't connect with people as well as he should, and his parents start to get worried. This kind of did have some similarities to Brightburn for me. 
So after that, you know, the kid, you know, there's some really good moments, creepy moments in here. Like he's dressing up for Halloween and he wipes his, he's wiping down his face and he ends up catching himself in the mirror. And he has two different color eyes, which is very strange, which is very uh, obvious statement kind of on the, the dual personalities within the child, the hazel and blue or whatever. So he's looking at himself in the mirror and we have the skull on the half of the face and he's looking at himself and it's just like, oh, that knocks that really home that there's a dual thing going on in the entire movie and everything like that. Um, the parents try to do everything they can when this kid starts to do these dark things and you know help him but uh the kid is not having it exactly that way and i don't want to spoil too much but the the actual thing what's going on i thought was pretty unique for a movie i thought that it was actually um a really good performance by the child i thought the child was really good how he could be like mommy i'm so sorry and then just be an evil little bastard thought he had a really unique look to him thought he was kind of a, not not like a weird looking kid but enough to be a little bit uh kind of strange looking at the same time uh, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good movie, and I thought that the end was pretty dark. And I think that it's a it's a pretty cool movie, and it has like some serial killer stuff going on with the character in the past, and it's a mystery and her unfolding everything and finding out exactly what's happening. And it is frustrating watching it unfold too, which I think is a compliment for this one. Sometimes it can be a you know a deterring factor, but it's not here. Um, I would recommend this one. I think it's good stuff. Hopefully that was quick enough for you. Did you really just say that? Nurturing genius. He's our little prodigy. Miles isn't wearing like other kids. His intelligence is off the charts. I don't have an exact score, but it'll be very high. He's special. Mommy? What's wrong with me? Miles is having a very difficult time making friends. I want you to tell me everything that you remember. I don't remember anything. Miles' brain is extremely well developed. He may need a specialist. You must be Miles. Miles is dangerous. I don't feel safe with him in the house. Oh my God. He's so different now. I feel like I don't know him. Mommy. Will you always love me? No matter what I do. Okay, the next one is one I watched on Tubby TV. Is it? It's Tubi TV. I always call it Tubby. I don't know why. Uh, but yeah, and it is The Cannibal Club. Yeah, this is a Brazilian film. And uh, the one thing I want to note is I noticed that the guy who was who directed Black Forest was involved in this movie in some sort. He didn't direct it. But The Cannibal Club, it's kind of a horror, crime, comedy, thriller deal. What we have here is a couple who um, you think it's kind of a what do they call that? She's a cuck a cuck holding relationship where the father the husband is getting off on his wife banging other men, but that's not necessarily what's going on. Right in the beginning of the movie, we have a, a rich uh, man and his wife and a caretaker cleaning the pool. He tells the caretaker, "Here, here's a gun. I'll be leaving shortly. Protect my wife. Um, I'm going to be going out of town for some business." But he doesn't, and pretty soon the wife and the caretaker are boning he kills the caretaker right away and um 
they eat him. It's called the Cannibal Club, so that you kind of figure out that they have this dark thing where it's almost like a, a weird kind of cuckolding thing where he gets off on somebody screwing his wife, and then boom, boom, he jerks off. You almost think it might be some sort of weird, like, impotency thing, but um, he can ejaculate. I don't know what's going on. It's really weird. So you learn that this this kind of like, uh, it's a, another story about elites feeding off the poor, you know, <laughs> literally this time, you know. So we have that uh, kind of, that, that basically, definitely a, also a statement probably in Brazil, which is a country that has a lot, you know, of uh, real horrible things that happen in it every day. Every country does, but, you know, in particular in Brazil, the crime rate is very high. So what we have is these uh, rich elites that are actually part of this, you know, club, this cannibal club where they eat human flesh. Uh, what happens is um, the wife of Octavio, I think his name is, I can't think of, Gilda is her name. Gilda witnesses something of one of the higher class people that she shouldn't witness, and they begin to fear for their life. And, and there's not that actual much that happens in the movie but um after that that's all i really want to say about the plot of the film it is darkly humorous and it's, it's humorous in a way that's not like laugh out loud funny or anything like that but it's just almost situationally comedic and the pauses and things like that are what makes it funny and just the when she discovers something and they just stare for a second it's just like just and everything like that. I think that the guy who plays Borghese is really good. I think he, he's really effective in it. Uh, the places they shoot everything is really nice. It's well shot. And at times they'll close the door when you know something actively is happening and just slowly pan in on the door, which is a way to not show every moment, probably to save on budget and also be effective at the same time. So you kind of know what's going on in there. Like I said, I want to be quick with this one because I don't want to spoil too much, but it's not, it's gory and bloody when it's there. And the sex in here seems real, seems real, raunchy and it seems almost unsimulated if anything you can bear if they're not they might even be wearing protection in between each other if they're just grinding going to town but uh yeah i enjoyed it i thought it was good i thought it was you know something that you wouldn't necessarily see made in america or unless it would be a big deal about it but i liked it the cannibal club cool stuff a população de bens de fortaleza está apavorada isso é um fato Provado e comprovado. Tá divino, meu bem. Você diz isso só pra me agradar, né? Otávio, meu amigo, eu lhe chamei aqui pra tratar de um assunto delicado. Sobre o nosso clube. Eu tenho uma forte suspeita que um dos nossos companheiros anda falando demais por aí. Tem uma gangue atacando nessa região. Uma gangue perigosíssima. A gente pode comer o Jonas e dizer que ele fugiu. É uma ótima ideia.
Okay, the next one is a Patreon pick. I don't know why I threw the Patreon pick here, but this is from uh, my boy D, uh, Derek, or uh, D Boogie. So, um, yeah, this is The Depraved by Larry Fezzendent. And I've seen a couple Larry Fezzendent movies. I've seen, um, never saw Habit, always wanted to, but I've seen um, Beneath and... Uh, Windigo. No, not The Last Winter. Sorry, I didn't see Windigo. So, you know, I, I like his movies. I like him better as an actor. I love him in movies like The Dead Don't Die and Mind's Eye and all sorts of things. When he pops up or um, uh, Pod, he always makes a movie a little bit better. He has a great screen presence. He's a good actor and he's always so, so such a recognizable face. So Larry Fessenda, his movies, you know, they're they're... They're artsy in a lot of ways, and they're a little, you know, kind of unique, and, and, and he has, like, this weird kind of sense to him. They definitely have his style to him. Like I said, I hadn't seen Habit, which is the one I really want to see, but, yeah, um, Depraved. This is basically his take on the Frankenstein story. It's a modern story. Um, so I'll get into this. The first half of this movie I really liked a lot. We have the story of a, of kind of a, a couple, and the girl wants to take things further with the, the boyfriend, and he's like, you know, I don't want to commit to having kids or anything like that. He leaves, and he dies right away. And, and you see kind of him close his eyes, and then boom. You wake up, point of view, sits up, and it's not the same actor, but it seems like the same consciousness inside of it. Um and it's a it's a Frankenstein monster. It's 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 put together. They look you know they're they're made of all these different parts and naked and weird and stitched together. And you learn that uh, this guy Henry, of course, put him together. And it's a modern day kind of experiment. And the differences in the Frankenstein story here, I don't want to give too much away, but what we have here is his creation, and he was made for some sort of you know scientific thing to be sold to the highest bidder and kind of all these kind of deals. The one thing is that uh, Henry was in um, probably Afghanistan, and he has experienced a lot of war-like trauma, and he has post-traumatic stress disorder, and he wants to you know do this and push this this technology forward because he wants to save lives is his number one goal his kind of um guy his producer his guy investor here is a friend of his that uh has different motives he wants to make money he's not necessarily a very likable character you know he he has this weird kind of a uh, douchebaggery about him where he thinks he's really deep and thinks he knows humanity and he's just a complete and utter piece of shit uh miserable to watch on screen as well not a bad actor but a miserable character to watch and so is henry for that matter they're both absolutely miserable characters to watch for me. So that, that's a huge deterrent, and I don't want to be that negative. Like, I was really digging the first half when the Frankenstein was learning how to do things, learning how to speak, learning how to... The monster was learning all these things. I thought that was probably the most interesting aspect of the movie. Um, when it picks up the second half, we start to get more into the relationship between Henry and his friend and, and their girlfriends and everything like that. And it starts to lose my interest. It becomes very talkative and very argumentative between them. And they're just two people I don't care. And also, I'm going to complain about the science here. And I know I just said, don't worry about the science. But there's such a huge missing chunk of this story where we don't understand how they don't talk about how any of this was developed, how this guy who was in the Afghanistan war could be developing this serum and developing all these things to bring the dead back to life or reanimate corpses when he was supposed to be a wartime situation. I don't understand where he originally got this from. I know he's supposed to be brilliant. Did he make it before and take it to the war with him? I know that that doesn't need to be explained, and I know I'm filling in the gaps myself, but I would have liked to have been explained when we have so much time when there's just bullshit going on or nothing going on that you can take the time to talk about this in dialogue. He could have said, I made this what it is. I had nothing to work with where I was. I took it, you know what I mean? But you don't get any of that. Um, 
Um, the ending, I think, is pretty cool, pretty decent. But like I said, it has a strong beginning and a strong ending and a clunky middle for me, a boring clunky middle. It's well shot. It's well made. The best parts of the movie are when the monster um, actually sees things from his past. And I don't want to spoil too much, but he sees, you know, his girlfriend. And I'll leave it at that. And that's the most touching scene in the entire movie. I wish they would have met more with the drama here because um, that's the, the, the more compelling stuff. And the drama with the monster. He's the interesting character here. He's the character that has the most unique story. He's somebody that didn't want to, you know, it's just a unique thing. And he has a previous kind of life. It reminds me of Robocop that he has these like kind of bits and, and pieces from his past. So like that's interesting. But at the same time, the other stuff, like I said, I can't. Henry is such a boring character. And so is the other guy. And, and he comes across in this total douchebaggery. And that's kind of the point that this kind of like awful, rotten human can, you know, with his terrible mentality about the human race can affect you know someone new so maybe it's a statement on how man can you know be you know and affect man with their negativity i don't know maybe that's it and you know the frankenstein book and everything and all the other adaptations have so much to say and they're so interesting and this one has some things to say and is somewhat interesting it just falls short for me it's okay i figured it out <gasps> i figured out how to bring them back and so it begins. While others are dealing with molecular science, DNA, petri dishes, we're in here dealing with blood and guts, extreme sports of biology. Can you talk? Fred. My God, yes. Stay here. You will not leave until we are ready. Be safe. So what happened to you? Those are a lot of scars. I don't understand how I got here. You must be so alone. I read books. Are you all right? Don't do any funny business. <laughs> dreams from someone else i owe you something like a normal life i didn't believe that you would ever understand what was happening to you oh where the hell were you we were out on the town all night maybe not cut out for fatherhood who can you even trust with this here we have man's essential impulse Violence. <laughs> depraved. That's what we are. Utterly depraved. <laughs> it was you. It was you who made me what I am. Okay, this next one here is the Scandinavian horror movie, and it is uh, Toughland. Yeah, this one kind of reminds me of something like Blood Paradise or, you know, Midsummer. even. We have this girl who's from the city. She just uh, kind of 
broke up with her boyfriend. She just got turned down for a job and she really needs to do something else. She's kind of at a cross point and or a midpoint or whatever, you know, crossroads. There we go in her life. And so she comes up and, and she gets this note where the, someone was watching her that offers her to come. And, you know, she um, is what is a manufacturer of, of, you know, like I can't think of it. It's like some sort of, you know, she wants to do these kind of special art projects and manufacturing. I'm not necessarily sure what she wants to do, but she gets an offer to come to this kind of isolated location and learn from some people that know what they're doing. It's going to be a completely different experience and it's really weird and different and she's going to be paid, bored, food, that kind of thing. So she takes it. She ends up going to this really isolated, weird area where it's basically inbred hell. You think, you know, it's definitely that exploitation, but it's a Scandinavian country. So we have this group of people that basically are in a weird cult and she gets there and they seem to be very religious and very old school. They don't have much technology. Their electricity goes in and out and they don't really have any cellular service. They're isolated. There's this kind of the one male guy she meets who's really weird and seems to be some sort of almost like witch doctor or wizard to them or shaman, some of that kind of deal where he kind of predicts the future. He has premonitions and everything like that but everybody in the town looks at him like he's really strange and all, all the women you know they range the old ones are very like strict and mean and there's there's a younger one that you know and they, they seem to have like they, they kind of bonds with her but they seem to have like mental problems as well like one walks around with a baby a fake baby and then the males of the story this is definitely a, a hugely um chauvinistic um kind of uh you know village right? and like hierarchy and everything like that they men basically say women must do what the men say and stay at home and have the baby so she's immediately like thrown into this world and at first she's kind of trying to deal with it but uh, after a bit she realizes she has she has to go after there's a couple unveilings throughout the story of really gross weird shit how they take care of their mentally disabled and everything like that so it feels like i said like blood paradise or like midsummer but you know it's better i think it's around the same range or something like blood paradise it's not nearly as good as midsummer but um if you like the kind of inbred backwoods stuff that it might interest you it's well shot it's shot in the really nice location like it's, it's 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 it has a great location i don't remember how perfectly it was shot but i think it was shot pretty well but the location is what makes it special because a lot of it's you know really beautiful woods and everything like that and, and she you know starts to dig deeper and realizes what happened to some of these people that are missing or some of these people that are in the area so that that again comes to somewhat of a mystery story um, the ending is a little lackluster and it definitely wants you more wants you to have more and, and there's also a real kind of weird incestuous thing happening in the town and uh, homosexual acts and stuff like that because they're like isolated and that's all they have but um, it's okay I think it's decent I, I kind of enjoyed it um, but I don't I wouldn't it's on Amazon Prime I wouldn't be going crazy for it or anything like that but uh, uh, some people might really dig this one you know I guess we haven't had too many backwoods horror movies here I guess Midsummer and Blood uh, counts so I guess it's uh, you know, the backwoods horror movie of the year. Kuuluttaako? Kaipaatko helpotusta arjen raadantaan? Tervetuloa Kyrsyhän. Meillä luonto ja lähimmäinen onpi lähellä. Oot sä vittu tosissas? Sun tarvi lähteä mihinkään kyrpiälle, vaikka sun pari onkin pinaan. Työt kestää vaan kesä ja sitten tuun takaisin. Mitkä työt? No siis siellä on tekstiiliteollisuudessa työvoimapula. Jotain perinteisempää mun pomo perehdyttää mut siihen paremmin. Hori nyt, mut mun mielestä on ihan sairastakin. On pisaatu perheenä asua jokainen omalla paikallaan. Mitä ei osata, sitä ei tarvita. Kiitosta. Mut suurin osa ihmisistä ei tee sitä työtä mitä rakastaa. Täällä tekevi kaikki. Kiitosta. On pisaatu antimet elämään läheltä. Kiitosta. 
joilla kylämme varjellaan. Ne, joilla elämää jatketaan. Olen kolme kuukautta ihan rauhassa. Et kerro Jannelle, et kerro Mutsille, et kerro kenellekään. Joko? Okay, the next one is on Netflix, and it is The Perfection. This is a weird-ass movie, and it's going to be a quick one because I don't want to spoil too much. This is a movie that switches gears three or four times, and and every time it switches gears, you have to readjust, and sometimes it loses you a little bit, but other times you dive in more. We have this story of a woman who used to be one of the best uh, violinists, or is it a violinist, or she's a musical instrument. I'm terrible. Is it a bass? She seemed like it might be a bass, but um, something like that. She was uh, wonderful at it. She was one of the best in the world. She had to stop because she had to take care of her mother. And after her mother dies, after about 10 years, I believe, it's something like that, taking care of her, she calls back to her old school. She she feels like, you know, she's lost. So she calls back to, um, it's uh, Stephen Weber and uh, her and his wife and talks to them, says, you know, can I come back to the school? Can I, you know, be involved with you guys? Of course, he invites her back. She travels to, I think, um, is it Japan? And she meets uh, the the new protege that kind of took her place. And immediately there's a little shakiness. She's nervous around her. And did I mention that these two women are probably the most beautiful women? They, they're gorgeous women. They're, they're really interesting characters. And uh, they start a relationship. They play together and they start kind of a, a, a romantic relationship. And... Then they are kind of like, you don't know where this movie's going, so turn this off or fast forward through this review because I don't want to spoil too much. The first part of this movie right here, all in all, I liked it, so leave it at that. Fast forward. Uh, the first part of the movie, like, it, it's filmed so well and romantic, and there's a great love scene where it's really, you know, like a graphic but not pornographic and it, it's just really well done and i was like oh this is really artfully done and this is really um amazing and touching and everything and where's this going to go be this dark high art movie and then it turns into you think a xenophobic nightmare about disease where the girl um one of them starts to get sick the uh new protege she starts to get sick and ill and her hand seems to be infected with something and she's throwing up on the bus and they're traveling around this it's it's china maybe china um, so yeah, and then it, it takes a turn and then you realize it wasn't something that you thought it was. And it turns into like kind of a thriller, uh, revenge story. And then it turns into something else where it's an evil school. I don't know what to tell you guys about this, but there's some really cool stuff about it. The ending has a wonderful shot in here, um, of something like, uh, without spoiling too much of a dual instrument playing. Um, Steven Weber's pretty good in it. Um, it's well shot. It, it, it looks very expensive. It's a good looking movie. It's well acted. It's interesting. It's weird. It keeps switching gears and keeps you guessing. And sometimes you like it better for doing it. And other times you don't. I was really baffled when it did it the first time. I was like, are we really going to watch a, fucking two and a half hour like artsy like killer bug movie disease movie i was like because this is weird i don't know but then it goes somewhere else and it goes another place i ended up really liking it it keeps you guessing it's really fun uh, it's cool uh the perfection what is happening to me i'm burning up it's gonna be okay Liz. oh it's not oh god it's not <laughs> 
Listen to me. Something is wrong. Something is wrong with me. Lizzie, I know. That's why we need to get you help. I'm dying. I'm dying. <laughs> What's happening? Oh my god. What's happening? I don't know. Oh my god. What is it? I don't know. Whoa. What the fuck? Look at you, It's fucked. Help me. Help me, darling. Help me. You know what you have to do? Okay, the next one here is one I watched, I think, on Amazon Prime called Braid. And uh, this was actually done by a female director. That's another theme I saw this year is uh, the next... This, the next two movies after this are also female directors, so Braid. Um, this isn't necessarily a horror movie, but it's horror-jacent. I guess you kind of call it a horror movie. So, okay, Braid. This is a real weird movie. I don't even know how to explain this. Uh, the neon colors, brightly lit, just very um, surreal, drug-trippy movie. We have two girls who are big into selling drugs. The opening opens with these three girls dressed in completely wild clothes, kind of burying a body, and then it cuts to two of them sitting there um, with all these drugs, uh, police bang on the door. They decide to split. They're running around and uh, they're wanted by the police. So they decide to hang out at one of their old friends who's rich, uh, Rich's house. But um, she seems really weird and isolated. She makes them follow these strange rules when they move into the house that they no one will break the game. No one can escape. And there's like three rules. They put all their cell phones in the mailbox and they go in. And what happens is this weird, um, circular, surreal nightmare. So at one point they're taking drugs and all the colors in the movie pop out and it looks amazing. At other times there's torturous things. We're hitting each other, hitting one in the knee and it gets really creepy. And she says she's pregnant and everything like that and then we have flashbacks to their childhood and that all ties into it and there's a detective who was involved with the original case who's who's been sneaking around the house and all that stuff is intertwined and related to it and then there's a crazy batshit twist at the end where you're thinking oh wow okay um but there's some really good imagery in here there's some really cool mind screw things and all in all it's a cool unique movie i guess you know not completely unique but i think it's unique enough and i think that the colors and the the music and everything like that i really enjoyed and all in all I thought it was a, a, a nice little kind of mind screw of a movie with, uh, and it has like elements of, you know, torture and captivity and everything like that, but good stuff, good performances, really weird. And I like all the leads because they, they look unique and different. They're, they're pretty, but they're not like your typical, you know, Barbie dolls. They have distinguishing features and I like them and I think it's a good movie. It's weird braid. So how do you want to do this? We'll need to search the whole house to find the safe. To do so, we're gonna have to play the game. Once we get into the house, whatever she asks you to do, you're gonna have to do it. No excuses. She says we obey. Welcome back, Doctor. 
Rule number one. Everyone must play. Rule number two, no outsiders allowed. Rule number three, nobody leaves. Okay, the next one is also going to be a short one because it's also super weird. It is Knives and Skin. Yeah, this one I, I rented on Amazon Prime. Not really a horror movie, but I guess horror adjacent. And right away I was watching this. I was like, this reminds me of uh, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. This reminds me of David Lynch. This reminds me of Greg and Ar and This reminds me of Todd Salance. All those kind of weird directors and everything like that. So that's what it kind of felt like. Um, the beginning of this movie, uh, there's a, boy, a young boy, a high school, and a girl out. She's in her band outfit and they get in an argument she gets hurt she falls on the ground hits her head she's 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 okay kind of her glasses are gone missing she doesn't seem like she's gonna die but she starts to wander off in the woods the boy leaves her and then throughout the entire movie we see all the people that are involved in her and this whole town kind of you know struggling or dealing with the fact that she's missing and how many lives it affects and what these people are doing with their lives and how her, her this disappearance of her has changed everything at points this movie turns into a musical there's this tape in here, which belongs to one of the um, uh, the fathers of the girls in the film. And he has a tape that he gave to his wife, and it has all these songs on here, mixtape, and they're all sung slow. The music teacher in here teaches the kids how to sing them, but they're sung in like a very, you know, artfully done way, and they're pop songs. So that's throughout the entire movie, like Blue Monday. How does it feel? So they'll sing it like, like really, like an art, like a music class way. The um, music teacher is actually the the mother of the missing girl. So throughout times, we'll cut back to her, and she'll even join in the singing. So it has like dark, weird, supernatural kind of elements in a way, and it, it, you know, it just unfolds with the story, and it's a love story in a lot of ways. These girls fall in love, and these other people discover people, and people act really weird, and they're kind of funny, and it's all these relationships and how they inter twine and how they intermingle and how they're just so bizarre and, and and there's lots of comedy in here that actually made me laugh out loud because it's so bizarre um like the principal or one of the lead teachers likes to buy used underwear so they use code name for food he's like i was looking for a three bean salad and it's just like this is weird as hell man but also again it's very brightly lit um the the glasses that she had have some significance you know they have this bright color almost like uh you know uh and they're i don't want to spoil too much of that but they light up when they're put in certain places but uh yeah like the mother starts to lose her grip on reality and the the sheriff um you know he's not has on a happy relationship and a lot of the characters parents you know they're just in in loveless relationships but everything seems to come together and everything seems to align at the end in the correct way and i enjoyed it it's 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 weird and it's funny and it's touching and like while i was watching this movie i said how come it's such the absurd things they can be so absurd that it end up being the most touching in a film like this and 
Uh, Jeremy said, well, you know, life is absurd. And I said, is that Voltaire? And I said, so yeah, there, there we go. Life is absurd. And sometimes when it, the absurdity hits home closer to than reality does. So that is uh, Knives and Skin. Good movie. And the reason it's called Knives and Skin is because when they search for her, they are given instructions that say, um, if you find her and she's fine, say Knives. If she find her and she's not, Skin, I believe, or vice versa. So yeah, it's it's pretty interesting movie. And the, the poster says, where is Ka Caitlin something or Caroline? something and that just reminds me of so so much of Twin Peaks um, fire walk with me so yeah a woman called for you last night she was looking for her daughter a friend of yours Corey Callie Carolyn we aren't really friends anymore I put more of these up every day honey can you help me with this I'm making a flyer for that missing girl I saw the ones her mother's been putting up and they're hideous you spelled her name wrong Oh, well, I'm not gonna start over now. I worked really hard on this. I thought your dad lost his job. What do you do all day anyway? Oh, honey, aren't you gonna eat? Of course not. If you need some extra money, you could probably sell my meds to your friends at school. As most of you know, Carolyn Harper's been missing since Friday night. If you know anything, let us know immediately. For if the darkness and corruption leave a vestige of the thoughts that once I had, better by far that you should forget and smile than that you should remember and be sad. Can you feel that? I need to know there's a way out of this place. What do you think is going on here? It will almost kill you. But you will not die from this. You were warned. I will rise. If only tell me where she is to hold you down. Okay, the next one I rented on Amazon Prime as well. This is Little Joe. This is a British film. Uh, yeah, this one is also interesting. This is kind of a changeling story, kind of a body snatcher story, science fiction kind of film. And uh, again, uh, going here blind, you'll probably enjoy it more, but um, i got to have to discuss, discuss some certain things about here, which could be slight spoilers to people, so if you don't want to know anything about it, go ahead and pass this review up. But Little Joe follows the story of, uh, I guess, what do they be, botanists? People that, you know, alter plants, or they're... They're, they're more than that. They're genetically modifying plants to, you know, do certain things. And make This one is, she calls Little Joe, named after her son, which is supposed to put a pheromone out that makes you happy. So they're working on Little Joe. And right in the beginning of the movie, some of the other scientists are a little leery about Little Joe, especially after some of the other plants, when it shoots its pollen out, kills um, the other plants. Little Joe has been modified so that it cannot reproduce. And um, they think that by doing this, it could have caused some problems. So basically what happens is here, like I said, it was a body snatcher story. It was kind of a um, changeling story that the pollen starts to affect people a certain way. And this is like a low-key, you know, body snatcher story. You know the line in the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers 56 where he says, that's not my uncle Ira. 
they basically made an hour and 45 minute movie out of that one line. That's not my uncle Ira. So some of the people start to be affected, you know, a dog originally. And uh, there's a really kind of almost like really interesting moment with this lady whose dog it is. And she had mental illness. So you don't know what to think she's actually doing. I think the performance from the lead is very good. I think that she's a workaholic. So, you know, she's visiting like a psychiatrist. So you get to dive into deeper like that. But the pollen is very manipulative and very intelligent after it gets inside of you. It can make you say the right things to people. It seems almost like very intelligent can read your mind and get it. Well, it becomes part of you, but it also is manipulating you to protect the plant. Because after you smell that pheromone or get that pollen, all you care about is the plant. So, like I said, it's well made. I love the set design that where they make Little Joe at. Um, and uh, there's uh, the way it changes people's personality, makes them more aggressive to certain points under certain circumstances. And there's a really funny moment when one of the kind of Carmunchin people in the movie, uh, you, you don't know if he's affected or not, but at one point he's like, oh, so it would just make you happy then what's the big deal if they're happy? And you're just like, oh no, you start to realize that it's it's gone worse. But I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. And um, it leaves you open at the end. Like, is it a happy ending? Is it a sad ending? It's a question people would ask. If, if you had happiness, would you care if you were 100% yourself? Because you wouldn't even know. You know? And I guess they bring that up in the Body Snatchers movies too. But um, this one's pretty interesting. Little Joe. It's good stuff. <laughs> Our aim was to create a plant with a scent that makes its owner happy. We are entering a new era here. The first mood-lifting, antidepressant, happy plant. We've received orders from all over the world. I just wanted to say that I feel really proud to be working with you. Look what I have for you. What do you say we call him Little Joe? You have to take good care of it. Keep it warm. Talk to it. It needs attention. What's so special about it? It makes you happy. <laughs> Haven't you noticed how Chris has changed? I think little Joe's pollen has triggered something. Little Joe changes the people he infects. You're starting to notice too, aren't you? Fear can distort our perception of reality. If I made a mistake, then it's my fault. It seems that this has all been a bit much for you. He frightens me. You're a good mother. But which of your children will you choose? Good night, little Joe. Okay, the next one I also rented on Amazon for a buck, and this is Luz. And this is a German film, I believe. And I, uh, Luz, this is a weird movie. Structurally, let me get into here. I love the structure of this film. I love how it's shot. I love that I was intrigued when it's just dialogue a lot of the times that I'm like getting sucked into it, watching it, getting like leaning off my seat. And it does that. And I was like, okay, this is really good. And then it hits a point in the movie where I'm like, wait, 
how could they do that if this didn't happen? And I, I felt like I was a detective trying to find a missing piece so I could absolutely love this movie, but I never found that missing piece. I felt like there was a plot hole or a loophole or something wrong with it. So I just ended up liking it instead of loving it. But Loves, um, this is a weird movie. I don't even know how to start this. We have basically a doctor. He's in this bar drinking, and a woman approaches him and says, my friend has a problem. She um, tried, She uh, had like a taxi cab accident, tried to kill herself in here. And I was wondering, um, basically they're talking about it. She starts to tell her about her friend was in a, a convent when she was younger a school a religious school and she was kicked out of the school and she was there and she tried to perform some sort of weird um she was like a, a medium for things and she tried to do some weird kind of uh exorcism on a girl who was possibly pregnant and you're like what the hell's going on then the doctor gets the call and he's supposed to go, you know, talk to this girl and everything like that. But um, it seems to be some sort of manipulative world where you can pass on things. It's a possession movie. But I don't want to spoil too much because half the great point of the story is that passing between and, and then guessing where it's going to go and the unfolding of the story. But the way this interview process happens is they bring in a, in a translator because she doesn't speak, I think, German or... She, and, and everything like that. So we have all these languages going on. We have a translator. We have a police detective. We have the, the doctor. And we have the girl, Luz, uh, Luz who's basically re, redoing the taxi cab event, sitting in the chair doing it. And the sounds are coming through. Like, is she a medium? Is she? Are they hearing the sounds? Or is that just for the audience? She so don't know. And it's coming through and all that stuff and the sounds. And she starts to have the dialogue. And she gets put into this world. And somebody else comes back and sits in the cab. And it's like a possession story. It starts talking. And you realize that more and more of the story unfolded of her her past and you start to realize that this may be ending in a very tragic way and it might be something worse than we thought originally but um the opening and ending are they open with that same long shot and uh that's pretty cool and like i said i like how it unfolds i'm not the biggest fan of possession movies but the way this possession story unfolds is what it is it's structurally it's amazing um mystery it's amazing it keeps you intrigued to find out what happened it's very well acted it's very well shot the music's very good um there's lots of beautiful imagery and the set design even held it the, the, the alcohol they drink looks great uh, so there's lots of cool shit going on here but i feel like i'm missing something like i need it to somebody i need like a watson or something from a whore corridor or the watsy party to dive deep into this and study for it about hours so he can uh, just fill in a couple gaps i have to make sure that these gaps aren't plot holes that i'm just missing something i really would like to watch it again to confirm if i love this movie or not because it's a top 10 contender if i could get past a couple things things but right now it sits high but not in that top 10 uh, but i really do like it but it's a 16 millimeter movie too and i'm a sucker for that a bliss knife plus heart i was like this looks great and like it could have just been you know them watching a subway in 16 millimeter and i think i would have been hooked but there's like some cool stuff going on in this movie like i said that i wish i could dive in and look at again that is luz Du musst wissen, meine Freundin hat eine ganz besondere Begabung.
Hey, you might notice maybe there's a slight change in angles because I forgot to do one of the movies I, cu I watched. Yeah, I've been watching so much I forgot one. So uh, this next one I want to cover is Laplace Demon. And uh, yeah, so I, I wanted to make sure I didn't forget to talk about this one because it's one of the most interesting and different movies that I've watched in a long time. Um, again, it was released widely in the States in 2019. But this was made in 2017, I believe, in Italy for, you know, I, I don't know where it was released for that. But the Laplace Demon, uh, this is an interesting one for sure, like I said. Um, this feels like uh, uh, Agatha Christie kind of, of, uh, you know, and then there were none kind of story, pick them off, but it also has a science fiction kind of creepy element at the same time. There is a group of scientists who are obsessed with finding out how to, you know, the Laplace demon is a way to figure out every possible outcome or what's going to happen, predict the future in a way. And they do this by breaking glasses and trying to see how many pieces of glass there are and when they'll shatter and everything like that. Um, well, these scientists get uh, a call from one of the main researchers of this, a kind of reclusive, weird person, and they're called out to go out to this mansion and discuss uh, all their theories and maybe learn something. But what happens is right when they get there, they're sealed off in the mansion and a VHS tape begins to play and tell them that um, they're not going to be leaving and they can't get out. And before they know it, they notice that before, before too long, there's a replica of the mansion inside the house and they notice chess pieces and pawns and everything, the pawns. So uh, basically they realize what's going on here. There is people start to disappear and they realize that the, I believe it's the queen who comes down. Um, um, from somewhere in the big mansion and starts to take the pawns. And when it takes the pawns, they disappear. They don't necessarily know exactly what's happening, but this is all a determination to figure out their next move. So they're told that this person in the VHS tape, which it plays and then they'll stop, and it's all predicted that he knows exactly what they're going to do next, exactly how it's going to happen, and there is no way that they can fight it because it's been, he's figured out this, you know, this awesome, equation and everything like that and there's no way so it's a giant experiment a game almost like cube or something that they're trapped in and they have to survive so we have all these different character types and the way they approach things differently and they're all set up in certain ways and so all of them are arguing trying to survive uh, this movie shot in black and white and it uses miniatures and some sort of like almost green screen effects in a very interesting unique way that look really cool and um, it, it's it's one of these things that at first I was like, I don't know if I like how that looks. I don't know if I'm adjusting properly to this. But after a while, I was hooked and I began to like some of the characters and root for some of the characters and the arguments that they have. And a couple of the things just kind of the way they deal with things is it's all predicted, they think. So there's one character who's kind of looked at as an idiot. And um, he says some interesting things. He pulls like a, po uh, a frame off the wall, which says, and he says, why don't we try to do something like this? And one of them tells me that's impossible. That's moronic. And there is a way to figure, you have to figure this out because there is a mystery to it. And you think because the person in the VHS is shrouded in darkness that there might be might be somebody involved who's with them. Um, I really dug this one. I thought it was good. I thought it was interesting. I thought it unfolded really well. I thought the questions raised were unique, and it's actually kind of terrifying to determine that there is no human will. It's all can be predicted through a series like that, and there's no nothing you can do about it, or is there? So you got to kind of watch the movie, and the end standoff between some, you know, I don't want to give it away, but it's really interesting and great, and I like how it brings back the, the breaking glass and stuff, 
stuff. It's just a clever movie. It's well thought out. It's uniquely shot. It's not gratuitously gory or anything like that. And it's not, um, you know, gratuitous in its language or its sexual content. So I really think this could be an interesting, for an intelligent younger person could dig this one as well. Especially, you know, it's like a science fiction gothic horror movie. Um, you know, and it has really cool set design, even though it's kind of, like I said, strange with the green screen. But I love the idea that they have the miniature that is, uh, you know, pretty much picking everything for them. Um, and they see like it moves on the screen and they try to outsmart the queen and everything like that. And the actual killer, when you see it, it is like this chess piece that like engulfs people and pulls them away. Um, so I liked it. I dug it. It was cool. And um, I didn't see anything quite like this one. Uh, definitely plays on lots of different tropes. I don't know if I've ever seen necessarily a sci-fi guy gothic um whodunit so that's cool or or you know um and then there were none kind of stories so that is the laplace demon and that actually is a person or a theory i should say that was developed about trying to figure out and predict the time so it's based in some real science even if you think it's science fiction so yeah that's a cool movie noi marinai lo chiamiamo l'artiglio è un'isola quello è un luogo che metti i brividi Buonasera e benvenuti a tutti. Sono il professor Cornelius. Al momento non sono in casa, perché così prevede l'esperimento per il quale vi ho invitato. E questo cos'è? È, È l'esatta riproduzione di questa villa. E quindi? Ci sono otto pedoni nel modellino. E noi siamo in otto. Guardate il suo pedone. Si muove in tempo reale. Chiunque stia manovrando i pedoni sicuramente ci sta guardando. E invece tutti i movimenti sono già previsti nel meccanismo. Noi, qui, siamo delle cavie. Questo non è un esperimento, è una trappola mortale. Ti sei mai chiesto perché il pedone muove solo in avanti? Otto pedoni affrontano una regina. Il meccanismo sembra bloccato. Il tuo piano l'ha mandato in stallo. Forse vuol farci credere di essere in stallo. È tutta una forza questa! State facendo un esperimento su di me! Gioca con noi, come il gatto col topo. Aprite per l'amor del cielo! Sta venendo qui, presto! Una macchina programmata per colpire in un determinato luogo, in un determinato momento. Thank you.
What's up? It is week 33 of Hammer Time. That's right. Uh, before I forget, next week will be Scars of Dracula. And uh, yeah, this one is 1970. It's Crescendo. And uh, this is directed by a guy who would go on later to do two more uh, Hammer movies. The modern day Hammer Draculas. Dracula in 1970. Was it 1972 AD or something like that? And the Satanic Rites, which are the modern Dracula films. And he also did the movie Goodbye Gemini, which is a very strange thriller in itself, incestuous twins thing. So, uh, Crescendo. It, it definitely doesn't feel like a Hammer movie. And it doesn't even necessarily feel like a lot of the thrillers that Hammer put out, like Paranoiac or what are some other ones? Um, the Scream of Fear. It feels like an American 70s sexual thriller, right? It feels like it's inspired by Psycho. It feels almost to me like an Italian giallo. Yeah, it does that as well. Um, the plot of this film is as follows. Um, they are in France because uh, there's a, <laughs> this girl's obsessed with this, uh, this composer, right? Mm -hmm. He has passed, and she wants to do a paper or a thesis or whatever on him. A college paper, I think, or something like that. Thesis, you mean like shit. Yeah, it's a thesis. Thesis, <laughs> you mean like shit. Man, stroke woman, it's an old joke. It's a, a great show. But So uh, she goes to France, and she's invited to live with the family of this composer. And uh, there's a son who's wheelchair-bound, played by a James Olsen, I think. Um, not Jimmy Olsen from, what is that, Superman? I think his guy's name is James Olsen, though. He, he's a recognizable guy. And the mother is pretty much there, and there's some caretakers and whatnot. And right away you realize something's off. The right. place is beautiful. The location is beautiful. Yeah, actually, the, the whole opening scene where they're driving through the countryside, though a bit long, um, some of like, the most beautiful visuals I've seen in, in a Hammer movie, I feel. This is one of those movies, like they said, the 70s Giallos, where it's like, hey, we're going to showcase a location because yeah. you can't get there. So they're like, it's like an advertisement for this place in France. Uh, it, it looks amazing. And the whole movie's obsessed with music, and you said like a crescendo is uh, the, uh, the slow, starting quiet and becoming a peak. Yeah. And, and I don't even know if the movie's like that. Is it? Does the movie play like a crescendo? I mean, not really. No, <laughs> I mean, for one, you kind of call it... Pretty early on, and it's what's happening. It's a trope thing too. Um, and when I was looking at the movie, I accidentally got the twist, and I was like, "Fuck!" Oh, <laughs> so I didn't want to spoil it for you, though. Oh, I, I knew it immediately. Yeah, there is a twist in here. Um, the wheelchair bound thing kind of reminds us of Scream of Fear, which is the Hammer one, and the boat. There's like a um, like a, a pool house in both those movies, so that's a comparison I would can would say is similar. But like I said, it has like this weird sexual thing, and uh, the guy in the wheelchair, the son, is addicted to drugs, and his mother doesn't really like him because he didn't follow the footsteps of the musical career and all that. So there's a lot of that going on, which is interesting, but. At the end of the day, it's a solid thriller with some decent, you know, scenery and cinematography and acting, but it did leave me a little bored and it drawed out. Yeah, so, it, I mean, it's not a bad movie, but I will say, like, it, it's a very cut and paste movie. Like, you know what's going to happen when it's going to happen. How's it going to happen? Um... Was was Paranoiac the one with um, Oliver, Oliver Reed? Reed? Yeah. It, they, al it also made me think of that one a lot, yeah, too. because they had the same liquor set up. It was yeah, like the, the same, same table. Same and all the same liquor and everything. You're right. like, they probably just moved that over. And I think there was a pool house in that one, too. Was there? Where, where he had like the fake wall, and that's where the other brother was. Because there was also a, a, there was there was a, a dead twin yeah. and a living twin, right? Yeah, this one shares similarities between Paranoiac. But it's it, the way it's made, it doesn't feel like it. It feels like, you know, a giallo or a more American style thriller mm -hmm. um 
I, I like I said, I did enjoy it. It is decent. It is solid. And there's some other aspects. Um, the guy who plays like the caretaker here, there's a there's a nice hint at like mental illness too, where he says you spent too much time at a mental institution. Uh, one mm-hmm. of the caretakers to that says that the nurse says that to him, and you're like, oh. All these people crazy? What's going on here? And the um, the caretaker, the male caretaker, he is um, he's in a couple movies, and I recognized him right away. He just very you know m- memorable. What was he in? We saw he was the, in Mighty Ducks, but what was the other one that he was in um, where he played like a, a lethal weapon? Yeah, he was in Lethal Weapon too. He's the he's the, the South African bad guy. Diplomatic immunity. <laughs> he, he, he looks exactly the same, just older than that one. Um, so there, it does center around the pool. There's some kills in the pool, which remind me of stuff like don't answer the phone at House on the Edge of the Park. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like I said, I see Scream of Fear had the pool too, and the fear of drowning. So um, it's solid. It's decent. Um, and uh, really, it, it does. Uh, it's, it it's really focuses on a lot of the acting. It does feel like s- there's nudity in this one too. It's sleazy yeah. for a Hammer movie. I think there's only nudity um, from the one waitress though. The nurse from the nurse. Yeah, yeah, yeah waitress. Only she's one. an interesting character. Yeah, she's an interesting character. She's kind of fun. Um, I mean, the acting's solid. I did like the the mother. I thought she was that good. She was a really neat character. She was good. She was like a Shelley Winters type, or yeah. like a Joan Crawford, type. not Crawford. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Joan Crawford type, you know, Betty Davis kind of thing. Yeah. So I would give this a six and a half out of ten. Three out of ten. Wait, three no, out three out of five. Yeah. yeah, yeah, about a three, three and a half. Yeah. It's in between. That's not a seven, but it's it's like a six, six and a half for me. Good stuff, but not great. Um, probably wouldn't be rushing to revisit this. Um, very weird oddity in the Hammer lineup for sure, though. One of the stranger odd odd oddball ones well we're cutting out a lot of hammer movies aren't we like a lot of the non-horror, non-horror. thrillers i know that we skipped like the snorkel which is through and we did some of the other ones before i did mm-hmm. so I, I skipped them but there's like a couple that um would be interesting to do like the pirate movies and stuff like that but we didn't do those um but we are seeing hammer get into more sexual stuff the last two both have included nudity mm-hmm and this was actually paired up with Taste of Blood of Dracula. Oh, really? Yeah, this was the. It was not. It was paired up with Taste of Blood of Dracula. I think on like posters and everything and double that one bills. Was a fun one. And those are both Warner Brother titles. So I said like it's strange that these Hammer movies will jump from like they start. They'll be like Universal, some of them, and some will Studio Canal, and then Warner Brother. They're like that's why people are like I want a definitive Hammer collection, all of them. It's like you ain't gonna get it because they're owned by a bunch of different companies and everything like that. We saw some were Sony and some were right. Universal one somewhere MGM here so yeah and probably want to watch too. all the Hammer movies yeah I, you like do. this one I think you could miss yeah I, I I don't love it but I do like it and it's not a necessity right but it is a curious <laughs> in like, the Hammer lineup for it's, sure it's a good movie but you've seen this movie before is what I think I mean to get at yeah 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 unless you've never seen a movie before then go watch it if you've never seen a Psycho kind of style thriller then yeah you good I'm good let's go. Oh, Scars of Dracula is next week. He already said that. Huh? Yeah. In this house, a great composer lived. You know, there are times, many times, when I feel my husband's still here. I hear his voice, his footsteps, and his music. He is dead. But his music is very much alive. Terrifyingly alive.
the music room. Is that where your husband did most of his work? Yes, it is. Mother's personal shrine to father. No one's allowed in there, right, Mother? In this house of secrets, four people dwell. The stricken, the obsessed, the sensuous, the sinister. To this house comes a girl, innocent of its intrigue, exposed to its menace, singled out as its next victim. doing this. Doing what? Trying to make me into Catherine. Susan, you must leave, even though I beg you to stay. You must remember, my darling, it is I who you need. Everything is ready, madam. When? <laughs> Whenever you like. As the night falls, the music rises. Before the music dies, so will someone else. We have some uh, questions. We have Mark Estranado. Awesome video, like always. Very informative. One question in the Hammer segment. Where was that filmed? We switch it up. Sometimes we'll film in this room. Sometimes we film in the Four Seasons room, but it's been really cold. Sometimes we'll film, and that one was in a living room. So all these are filmed in in the same house, everything, pretty much, for um, the Hammer Time segments. Nick Mua, do you ever fear being replaced by a machine? Somewhat I do because, you know, I work in manufacturing, and that could happen. Uh, I, I would hope that maybe I was one of the ones that would uh, watch the machines or clean the machines. Maybe I'd be lucky enough to do that. Other than film, is there any form of art that tickles your fancy, painting, sculptures? Um, I guess the art of MMA, you know, watching some, you know, combos or the way people slip uh, out of, like, uh, holds and everything like that. But I guess art. I mean, I like art as much as the next guy. I like music, um, but I'm not like diehard into any of the art like I am when it comes to film. I love film. It's not, nothing else compares. Uh, why do you think some directors talk down or scold their audience? I felt that Michael Haneke's funny games is pointing the finger at viewers who enjoy the horror. Um, I, I don't know why some do it. Some want to prove a point. Some want to say a message. Some might even be deeper than that, that they're making fun of the people that actually point the finger at people. So they're making fun of the people that they're, you know, having in their film um, or, or having that idea at. It depends. Um, with Michael Haneke's Funny Games, I think he was more making a statement about violence in films. I doubt he watched the Universal Horror films and thought, oh, man, those are trash or that a lot of the other ones that were more considered artful. I think he's just more disgusted by the fact in violence put everywhere, put forth. And, you know, it, it is kind of a way. It's true, but at the same time, when you make Funny Games, I know that the violence a lot of times is, is off screen to a certain extent, but his film is very violent and people are still garnering 
in entertainment from his violence. So it makes him a little hypocritical to a certain point, but you got to be certain hypocritical to get your point across. Look at, you know, um, Night of Living Dead or, or The Wild Bunch. You know, um, violence should hurt. Think Wild Bunch. But violence at the same time can be cathartic. So in The Wild Bunch, it, it, it's to show the impacts of, you know, violence is not good. Look at the pain on these guys' face. But at the same time, as a culture, we become more accustomed to even enjoy that. So what's that say? I don't know. So I, I think that Michael Henneke's funny games is a little different than that statement. I think that he's making a point or trying to say, that, you know, violence is everywhere and, you know, Americans love their violence. And we do in film. Um, as far as other directors talking down on people, sometimes it's annoying, especially when it's a message. I don't mind a message, but if you're going to scold me and make me feel bad for something in your movie and tell me I'm an idiot, then I, I don't need to be told I'm an idiot. I'm not going to pay for you to tell me I'm an idiot, okay? I can do that on my own. I know I'm an idiot. I don't need to pay for that. But I, I don't know to 100%. It's, it's different. So, And then my question last week, we're going to do some answers. Um, was what were some reoccurring themes and things that are popping up in 2019 movies? Uh, Jonathan Wilhelm, the biggest thing I've been seeing this year in 2019 movies is a lot more political views being added to the t movies. I don't mind it at, at that as part of the particular writer slash director's narrative. I, though, would love to see more goofy, over-the-top fun movies. Let the gore fly, say some clever quips, and bring the cheese. I like both myself, you know. Uh, it's a good mix. I love all of it. Nick Mua, I've noticed that a good many 2019 horror film horror deals with family and the strain it has on the individual members. Mistrust, resentment, or families coming together and doing terrible things. Jordan Peele's Us, uh, The Hole in the Ground, Knives Out, Brightburn, In the Tall Grass, Darling. Sorry to list so many films you reviewed. Excuse Lord. <laughs> Excuse Underlord is my name. Um, Denial also rears its head again and again. At Chapter 2, the losers almost blissfully forgetting their experiences in Derry. Pet Cemetery. Lewis Reed refusing to accept that darkness has taken over his life and repeating his mistakes. And Scott jo Johnson. Uh, well, Crawl was Quentin Tarantino's second favorite 2019 movie. Was his number one until The Irishman pushed it through. And I don't know if he's just saying that or making a statement basically saying, well, is there a theme? The movie suck because Crawl's number two. I don't know. I thought I'd say it. Maybe that's what he's trying to get at. Rick Romano, it would be cool if you piggyback this video with a cool dating game segment where you send out a couple to view a flick and then you interview them about your experience. Sorry, I desperate. Uh, sorry, I'm desperate to go on a movie date. I don't know. Does anybody want to go out with Rick Romano and watch a movie? I'll have to interview you guys both and see what kind of films you like and try to find a movie you both like. Uh, Tempo Tapas. Um, nice little theme with your first two reviews, Automation, The Golem, and Devil's Machine. And the next two reviews, Velvet Buzzsaw and In Fabric. Have a nice fashion theme. For another movie about clothing, you should check out Phantom Thread, if you haven't already. It's not horror, but a good drama. So, yeah, we have, like I said, that art fashion thing going on. Viper Rose, 1978. Great reviews. Lots of drug movies this year, as well as dance or art, like you said. It was a good year from what I saw. Me too. You know, I've seen a lot of negativity, but it was a good year. Uh, Dustin Mills. Multiple films I saw at NFM, Nightmare Film Festival, had um, a scenes of someone vomiting into a toilet, including my own. Also, several films featured a character swallowing a small object that's not meant to be swallowed. Robbie Barry Francos. Switching off the lights in the shape of evil, whatever shows up down the hall in shadow form. Light comes on it and then disappears. Light goes off and it's there. Light on, it disappears. Light on, and now it's really close. I've seen that for years, though. But I, I do think I did see that, too, this year. Eric Whiting, economic struggles, or class identity, at least. Seen common this year. Off the top of my head, Parasite, Joker, and Knife's Out immediately come to mind. I see that you specifically mentioned uh, meant horror or genre. I haven't seen enough releases this year to immediately notice. So I'll have to think about what... Um, 
about what? Oops, sorry. Sorry about that. I missed something. I haven't seen enough releases this year to immediately notice, so I'll have to think about what was in Midsummer, Us, and It Chapter 2. So I guess those are the only genre movies he did see, or those three. Samuel Glass, Defunctional Relationships, Especially Families, Midsummer, Ready or Not, Knives Out. It's always been a horror mainstay, but it's really become its own genre this last decade. Yeah. Timothy Tohan Colin, uh, Killing in Many of the Same Way. So he basically sees a lot of the same kills. But then he goes on to say Saw is the best horror movie because it, to me it had me to the end. Fabulous flick. Saw is a very good twist ending. Uh, Morgan uh, Suzek, Remakes and Reboots. Been the worst year yet. See, I, I'm only seeing Pet Cemetery, Child's Play, and Black Christmas. Um, what else is there? Somebody else fill me in. What else? I know there's got to be a bunch that I'm just missing. This is off the top of my head too, remember. Daryl Marsh, Hauntings. Always Hauntings. I've actually missed out on a lot of the hauntings because I never saw any of the other Annabelle movies, so I avoided the new Annabelle because I'm like, ah, do I need to see the other two? Um, and then we have Jeremy, and he put in, uh, a girl doing art as a gif, and that's about right. Uh, Lee Jones, ripoffs and rehashes of older movies, some official, others not. CGI jump scares, meaningless pretension, and wokeness. I don't know if I've seen all those. Um, you know, there's a lot of movies with the wokeness. Um, uh, I've seen a lot of pretension. I don't know if it's all meaningless, though. Um, some of it is. Some of the ones I didn't like, I would say. CGI, and I think that movies like Velvet Buzzsaw, it's played into a comic effect. I think the meaningless, I think the pretentiousness is a joke in it. You know what I mean? And uh, CGI jump scares. Uh, yeah, there's a couple, probably in Pet Cemetery that I'm thinking of. And then we have uh, Virginia Shine, Nostalgia. That's the truth. And then BG Reviews, Dysfunctional Families, and that fucking Social Justice Warrior crap. Yeah, I've seen some of that. Um, what is that? The, the Black Christmas one that everybody's going bonkers for, man. I didn't watch the movie, but it was in theaters for like a week and it was gone. So, Timothy Michael Matthew Hades, and this is old answers for his DVD or our hard format going anywhere. Uh, it's Timothy um, Matthew Hayes. It's not going anywhere. I think DVD and Blu-ray would be here for stay for a while. 4K seems to be a niche format. I think all my siblings have a 1080p HD TV still. Probably more and more physical media like the vintage B-grade movies will have to be bought online. Streaming is cool, but my pet peeve with streaming is Amazon Prime will uh, will a decent widescreen master up for some rare movie. Then they'll put the movie, pull the movie for a while and place it with a pan and scan copy of the same movie. Not happy about that. Also, not happy about Shell Factory doing main, ma mainly widescreen release masters for Roger Corman's titles. They replaced the streaming copies with full screen masters from old DVDs and VHS tapes. So happy to own physical uh, media myself and will continue to collect. Sometimes still buy CDs and listen to them, even though more and more music ends up on YouTube. Amy Fox Goodwin. Now I'm going to complete her, because a couple I cut short, so I'm going to finish those up. Uh, it seems like there has been a resurgence in physical media. Last year, Walmart, Target, and Best Buy reduced all their physical media areas. Now they have increased them again, and it was a huge part of Black Friday deals. I think nostalgia keeps physical media alive for the general population. I think boutiques will always do well if they keep catering to weirdos like us, who like to watch the special features and keep the shiny slipcovers. And Jerry Ramsey's another one I cut short, so I'm going to finish his. It is staying strong, or should I say normalizing. There are still billions in physical media sales every year. Streaming will never replace physical media due to the rising cost of internet and data caps. DVDs replace VHS better. It is a better quality of media, because it's a better quality media. Streaming is not a better quality of media, just a more accessible one. Blu-ray took off 13 years ago, and people still haven't updated. The casual consumers still don't understand the full difference in Blu-ray and DVD because it's the same type of viewing format. Once 4K players and discs drop, then the market will rebound again. I'm predicting a streaming 
uh, crash when all the companies go head on in the streaming, in, in the streaming, and a lot of them will be destroyed and go under because they don't have the content to support it. I do think you're right there. DVD still makes up 50% of the market share in physical media. Even with the streaming uh, streaming available, Black Panther sold 100 million worth of physical media in 2018. It's all about connecting with audience. I'm very interested in phys- future of physical media and to see what company survives. Honestly, I wouldn't care if all the big studios dropped out of physical media and let the independents rise up. Physical media sales have been declined because customers quit buying completely. They have declined because companies aren't releasing as many as they used to since they are sinking billions into streaming services. I am from a small city, and just this year, our local Walmart grew its electronics and physical media section. Theaters play a part in it also. An average family of four would spend $50 on tickets alone to see the last animated film, or they can spend 15 on Blu-ray, and their kids can watch it over and over again. With my previous job, I just... I went in to a lot of customers' homes, and it was always the same setup. A smart TV in the living room and standard DVDs with Blu-rays or DVDs in the bedrooms. As long as their kids' films and horror market stay strong, then I don't see physical media completely dying out. Netflix, Amazon, and other streaming services just don't cater to the horror crowd. Who knows what will happen with the streaming bubble? I guess we will just wait and see. And that's probably one of the most uh, informed answers I had, so I had to say the whole thing. Sorry again, guys, that I didn't press the more info. Uh, Dustin Mills, genre fans are keeping physical media alive, but we're seeing is a big revival of nostalgia B-grade Sherlock and movies, which is not a bad thing, and the loss of non-genre classics as well as big studio films. Classic comedies and dramas aren't being rescued from obscurity. Also, there are movies from huge filmmakers like Cameron and Scorsese that are slowly fading into obscurity and are only available on old DVDs. Some films never made it out of VHS era. Physical media will mostly disappear, but I think collectors will keep it alive in some form. I just wish more film lovers were as passionate as uh, as genre fans. I agree. It's It's sad, though. I wish that, you know, I love horror movies. Don't get me wrong, I love them. But I wish that we could get, you know, some other cult movies or some other stuff out there, like ma- the mainstream stuff. Like, even, like, the 90s thrillers, you take any of those and they're worth watching. Like, Breakdown or, you know, so much good stuff. Okay, and then we have some question of the week. I want to ask, do you guys buy DVDs if the movie is available to buy in HD on a streaming service? Like, if there's a DVD and it's, like, 10 bucks, would you rather buy it in DVD or would you rather buy it on HD and streaming? See, because I, I will go for the streaming. If it's a Blu-ray, I'll buy the Blu-ray over streaming any day. But if it is a DVD, I will buy the streaming in HD over it. I know that's a bad thing to say. If I really like it, I'll buy both. But, uh, yeah, that is the question of the week. Let's uh, hop into the update. Okay, guys, let's start with the 4K. First, we have Overlord. Um, I haven't had a chance to watch this, but the 4K was super cheap. I bought this damn thing twice, but, hey, 4K was like 8 bucks. I wanted to check it out. I heard this is good. This sounds like it's right out my alley, so, yeah. And we got a Blu-ray here of The Dead Don't Die. I rented this, and I know a lot of people didn't care for it, but I'm a sucker for it. <laughs> I like zombie movies, so I wanted this one. I wanted to revisit it. Uh, with that zombie in there, it's like fashion. And then we have uh, Greta, which I want to watch for 2019 review, uh, the end of the year list. Heard this is good from about half the people. Most people like it. Check this one out, Greta. Then we got trick which is another one i i got this from the target sale i put this in and i was not feeling it and i was like life's too short and i'm running out of time to watch 2019 movies so let me know if anybody really loves this i will try to give it another chance but this i was not digging this man i was not digging this at all then we got here we got american rampage and danger usa for massacre video justice what's that say justice is another word for revenge i love it oh here we go yes Hopefully these are fun. David Dakota directed them. Is that Grizzly Adams down there? 
Grizzly Adams did have a beard. Then we go. We got um, To the Devil, a daughter uh, from uh, Shout Factory, Scream Factory. Um, this is a Hammer one, of course. And I'm looking forward to checking this one out. Christopher Lee. Uh, yeah. Heard this one's kind of sleazy for a Hammer movie. So, yeah. That might be one of their last ones, too. Then we got Silver Bullet. Uh, loved this movie as a kid. I haven't seen it in a long time. I, I still remember enjoying it, though. Uh, Gary Busey, Everett McGill, Corey Haim. Good stuff. Then we got, I got a good deal on this. Zombie Lake by uh, John Roldan. Uh, yeah. This movie is not very good. But I, could, I, I finally got a good deal on it. And I wanted to revisit it. I, I like the redemption titles. Got another one here. Um, it's got some stuff on the cover, but it's still sealed. This is Oasis of Zombies. Also, not a very expensive movie. I, I mean, it wasn't very expensive for me to pay. This is one of the worst movies ever seen, I think, zombie movies. This is Just Franco. Yeah, not a great film. I remember being so damn bored when I watched that movie years ago. The Beast in the Cellar, uh, Severin Films. Yeah, this is one of the limited ones from Black Friday. I've not seen this movie, but a British horror film. Check it out, of course. Then we got The Wild Wild World of Jane Mansfield, uh, also from Vin uh, Severin Films. There's two in here. And uh, what is it? Mondo uh, Bolero. Um, narrated by Boris Karloff. I'm not too big on the Mondo movies. Um, not, you know, except Mondo Connie. So I'll have to check that out eventually. And then we have Blood on Satan's Claw, which is a really cool movie, actually. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen it. I remember liking this one. Uh, yeah, cool stuff. British film as well. Is it Tygon? Was that a Tygon one? And then we have uh, Revenge of the Living Dead Girls. This movie is nonsense. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen this in a long time. This movie is super goofy and super weird, and I can't believe it's on Blu-ray. I had the old DVD from, uh, what was it, Retro Media? But yeah, it's a nonsense movie. Yeah, and that's all we have for you. Back to the video. Alright guys, thank you very much for watching, and as always, you guys have a good one. Mm. A little late on that one, huh?